0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. There's a Sports Ethos presentation, and I am your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter, at Joe JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, go ahead and follow EthosFantasyBB. I'm currently working on some rankings. They will be out either this weekend or at the latest Monday. They should be out on SportsEthos.com. And they'll be shared out again at Ethos Fantasy BB. I'm sure most of you guys are already following there by now. Just still trying to get a little bit of extra support on that account as we head into the offseason here. I know people will stop kind of consuming baseball content, but, you know, hit the follow button. And whenever you do want to get your baseball fill, there will be stuff there for you. So we're going to continue with our second base shows today. Now, I was talking yesterday about maybe just doing two. I've decided I'll extend it. I'll go into next Monday. We'll do a third second base show, partly because... We have a lot of time to fill here until next season. There's no need for me to condense things more so than they need to be. I mean, catcher, we did two shows, and that was about as about as far as you can really take the catcher position. Second base, I think I could I could squeeze a third show out here. So we're gonna go over a few more guys today, and then we will wrap it up um, definitively for now anyway on Monday. Because this is like I've said, maybe you guys have missed a couple of these previous shows. This is kind of just our first initial look. That's why I'm not going so heavy into advanced stats. I'm just looking at last year's average draft pick, average draft position, seeing how the guys perform this year, and how I think that will impact their ADP heading into next year. And looking at a couple other factors as well, age uh, and team performance, team uh, timeline in terms of com- uh, comp- uh, Jesus in terms of competing. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of different factors that will change. Maybe players will switch teams throughout the offseason. So we're going to just take a first look now. We'll do another one. I don't know if I'll go position by position again, but we'll go team by team, stat by stat. We'll break it down every which way possible here over the course of the next few months. But we're going to continue here. Uh, we left off yesterday with Labor Torres. We're going to pick up today with Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil was somebody that I had a lot of faith coming into the year. Uh, I think that he's... I mean, he was the batting champion, I believe, in the National League. That's the way it finished off. I think he just uh, ended up pulling away with it there. Let me just double-check, actually. I don't pay such close attention to those particular uh, races, but I do believe that he was the batting champion. Yeah, he was the batting champion, actually, across Major League Baseball, 326 batting average for Jeff McNeil. Now, he finished off exactly Yahoo standard category league scoring, exactly the 100th-ranked player for the season. That batting average was definitely the main factor there. 326 is huge. Um, but when you look at the other stats, didn't give you a hell of a lot. I mean, the counting stats uh, in terms of runs and RBIs were okay. 73 runs, 62 RBIs. He bounced around a little bit in that order, 3, 4, 5. I, he was all over the place there. So it's kind of hard to get a definitive uh, stance on where he'll be counting stats year to year. It's a pretty good lineup, so I think this is something that he could probably repeat in the 60 to 70 kind of range for both. He had nine home runs, and he had four stolen bases. I was buying a lot of Jeff McNeil heading into the year because last year was a down year. He was available at a discount this year, and if you just pull up his ADP data, 234 on Yahoo, 318 over on the NFBC. Now, he's a guy for his career. He is a 307 hitter. Last year was the only year he was below below the 300 mark. So I think that he's somebody you can kind of expect every year to hit around 300. Now we mentioned yesterday the 2019 season. How what a weird outlier that was! In that season, he hit 23 home runs. We've never seen him go over nine in any other year, which was this year. That was his other career high. Um, that year, they were messing around with the ball, and it was juiced or whatever the hell was going on. So we can't really look at that data and say that that's you know he's is he ever going to get the 23 home runs again? I would be pretty surprised if he did. Now he can hit 310 to 320 kind of range. He was even close to 330 this year. Uh, I think we can kind of expect that with between five and ten home runs with around five steals and okay counting stats. Where he'll be going next year, I'm really not too sure about that as of right now with Jeff McNeil. He's kind of a weird one to place. He's not somebody that's going to fly off a draft board's uh, Positional eligibility on Yahoo is at second and in the outfield. Now let me just take a quick look and see. Will he retain that outfield? Yeah, he will. He played m- more than enough games to retain that. So that positional eligibility, second and outfield, it's nothing to to write off. you know. That's something that's pretty valuable when you can move a guy from the infield into the outfield. I mentioned the other day about positional eligibility, how it's not so, so, so important in baseball as we make it up to be, or make it out to be. Uh, it's still important, but I think it's more important in basketball and things where you have guys who are not, or sports, where guys are playing uh, not every single day, and you constantly have to be rotating your lineup. Like, You know, a standard daily or weekly changes, your lineups in baseball are going to be fairly similar day in, day out. You're going to have the same guy catching, same guy at first, same guy at second, same guy at third. Here and there, it will definitely assist you when there's a guy who has an off day or injuries. You can move guys around or whatnot, but maybe we we overplay the significance of that kind of uh, eligibility. It's still, don't get me wrong, it's still very important. And if there's a guy who's like just first base eligible or just third base eligible, It definitely stings a little bit. So second and outfield, really good stuff. Now, will that, um, you know, I'm just kind of working through this with you guys. Will that eligibility combined with the high batting average be enough to offset the lack of real home run and steal numbers? Now, in that lineup, I think that he can do something similar to what he did again this year. 533 at-bats. That was over 148 games. That was the most he'd ever played in a season. I think that he could probably do something similar to that again next year in that 500 to 550 at bat range and give you a very similar stat line. It was very weird how he batted 249 last year. We give it a pass, we throw it away. And this year he was, you know, he was the highest batting average in all Major League Baseball. So I think he'll probably be somewhere, uh, what did I say, 230, yeah, 234 on Yahoo, 318 in the NFBC. He's probably someone who goes around the 150 mark. I think at least on Yahoo, NFBC, I don't have as much experience, so it's harder for me to say there. But I think with Yahoo, he's probably going in that 150 kind of range, 10th round of a 15-teamer, in in that kind of ballpark. Would I go a little bit higher on him? Maybe. I mean, even in a 12-teamer, you're looking at like 12th, 13th round. It's not a high-risk pick. And he's somebody who, like we said, he has the versatility. He can hit for a high batting average. And batting average can be kind of hard to come by. A lot of the guys who are going to hit for a high batting average are going to go kind of early in drafts. A guy like Jeff McNeil, he's not going to jump off the board. He'll still be available in that kind of range, I'm thinking anywhere from like one. It's, God, it's it's so hard to say right now. Like one forty to one eighty, kind of somewhere in that in that glom, and then I think that's that's going to be a pretty solid value pick. We talked about uh, the top five second basemen yesterday: Altuve, Semyon, Edmund, Jimenez, and Torres. None of them really inspire confidence as a pick, and I think mostly it's because their ADP is going to push up a little bit too high for me next year. Jeff McNeil, I don't see it pushing up too, too high. No sexy count in stats, not a lot of home runs, nothing really there. The batting title is something, but I don't think that that drags or drives, uh, pulls people in enough as it should. Jesus, still finding my words here this morning. I don't think that pulls people in as much as it might possibly should, given the scarcity of batting average. So I don't think he'll be going too high. I think I'm going to have quite a bit of Jeff McNeil heading into next season. Let's move on now to Tyro Estrada. He had a really solid year. In 140 games, he had 488 at-bats, 14 home runs, 21 steals, and he batted 260. This was with 62 RBIs, and how many runs did he have? 71. He was the 113th-ranked player this season. He had second short and outfield eligibility. Tyro Estrada, he had the lowest individual ADP on any site that we're talking about. For players these last two days, anyway, uh, in terms of our second baseman, his NFBC ADP was 725. Now, that's not putting in any specific um, search results. That's just looking at all of it. You know, some people will fa- uh, search by main event or search by DCs or search by a certain date. I just did all the data, all the drafts. Where was Tyro go going this year? On average, maybe it's not the most accurate view. Maybe I should be looking at, you know, just late drafts. But, you know, people did drafts all throughout the offseason. So it's all contributes to the data. He was pretty much an afterthought at pick 725 now a lot higher on yahoo 217 i think their data probably is filtered because they don't open their they don't open their draft rooms until when do they open them i don't even know february maybe uh, i i can't even remember exactly when they open but there's not as much time to make those early picks those early um before you know before things become set in stone, that's when you can make picks on the NFBC. People are drafting right now for next year. You can't do that on Yahoo, so that will impact the ADP a little bit. But still, like if you drafted Tyro Estrada at 725, you were laughing. You were absolutely laughing this year. Now, in terms of his eligibility for next year, this guy played 102 games at second. He played three games a third, so he won't get third-base eligibility. That would have been really nice, but... 37 at short, 18 in left field. So he'll still have the other positions that he had eligibility for. And I know I just mentioned with Jeff McNeil how it's not, you know, not the biggest of deals. But when there's a guy who can play, like, four positions or something like that, that's really good. And there's and I shouldn't poo-poo eligibility like that. I mean, I do want to, you know, just set the record straight real quick. I still think it's really important that guys have multiple positions of eligibility, but I don't think it is like the be-all and end-all necessarily. I think once guys are in your lineup, they're kind of set there, whereas like basketball, a guy plays three days a week, four days a week, you're going to be transferring them in and out of the lineup, sticking them in wherever you can. So that's where I think there's a little bit more value. But with a guy like Estrada, uh, he plays a couple of, you know, especially second base to go along with shortstop, which is a little bit deeper, outfield a little bit deeper. But specifically having him at second base is just so key. End of the year, only 67% rostered in Yahoo Leagues, which is, figured it would have been maybe a little bit higher than that. Uh, he's the guy who, like I said, 113th off ranking for the year equals out to a ninth round draft pick. So, I mean, he's definitely somebody who should have been on more rosters. I think there's always a little bit of worry. I mentioned this yesterday with Andres Jimenez, when there's not much of a track record behind a player you tend to not put so much stock into early season stats. But if you picked him up and you held onto him all year, he did a really great job for you. Now, those uh, ADPs, they're going to be totally out of whack. The NFBC one, 725, those are for, like, minor league flyers, guys at that point. Uh, post-pick 700, there's no real interest there. i think and probably, and it's harder for me to say with NFBC, Yahoo, I think you're probably going to be looking at around that same kind of McNeil range, roughly in the 150-ish Um Giants are not the greatest team around him. Uh, I don't have as much faith in him as I do in Jeff McNeil. It goes back to that track record thing. This was Estrada's first season, playing more than 50 games. I mean, 52 last year, but you get what I'm saying. I like to have a bit more of a proven track record a couple years where I can look back and say, okay, this guy, you know, Tommy Edmond, every year he's hitting 11 home runs and he's uh, stealing 30 bases. McNeil, every year, okay, it's only eight home runs and five steals, but, you know, he's hitting 300-plus, so... When you know a couple years in advance, or not a couple years in advance, when you have a couple years of track record to really build off of and look towards when you're projecting a player, I I like that a lot better. There are obviously a lot more factors we'll get into more throughout the offseason. But just on the surface, guy did this for the last five seasons. In the sixth year, you'd expect him to do something probably similar, assuming that there's no major things that have changed. I like Estrada just juxtaposing these two because they were so close last year in terms of their ranking for second baseman. I would take McNeil over Estrada because of those factors, specifically also because the lineup around him is so much better. But I think generally in that 150 kind of range, uh, you should be all right to take uh, either of these guys there, really. I think that there'll be a good amount of value uh, in taking either of these guys in that kind of, depending on size of your league, but I think probably 12th round, 12th, 13th round is where they're going to slot in. Let's move on now to Jake Cronenworth. He pretty much gave you exactly what you were hoping for this season. He ended up as the 125th-ranked player. and When you compare that with his ADPs, it was 127 on Yahoo, 122 on the NFBC, right? Smack in the middle there. I don't know that there's going to be another player we talk about at any position who was so in line with their ADP on both sites. It's really, really remarkable. Now, in terms of what he actually gave you, pretty much exactly what it was last year, Uh, You know, some slight differences, but the value was about the same. Uh, He had six fewer runs, 88 this year compared to 94 last year. Four fewer homers. He had 17 compared to 21. And he jumped up by 17 RBIs. He had 88 this year as opposed to 71 last year. Steals were the same, three this year, four last year. Batting average fell from 266 to 239, which you don't really want to see happen. You'd like to see it start to go up here, but... I mean, it is what it is. You'll still take that value, like we said. It was exactly pretty much what you were expecting from Jake Cronenworth. Now, I have big expectations for the Padres next year. I've already made a prediction. Um, I've mentioned it on this show, maybe on Twitter as well. I think that they're going to be the World Series champs next year. I think that that will be their time once they have Tatis there, Josh Hader with a full, maybe not a year, but you know more time under his belt there to get comfortable. Same thing with Juan Soto, another year of Machado. Like, I I have really high expectations for the Padres for next season. I think that, you know, they're, they're not quite there yet, and I don't think they're going to beat the Dodgers. I think with Tatis back, with Soto a little more comfortable, uh, you're going to be seeing really great stuff out of them. Jay Cronenworth will just be along for that ride. Still contributing to it, of course, but he won't even have to be, like, exceptional to have value there. We saw this year they were a good team. The Padres were a good team. They weren't a great team. They were earlier in the year if they ended up – with 89 victories. Not, not, you know, not the greatest. Offensively, they were 11th in runs, 15th in hits, 15th in average, uh, 22nd in slugging, 15th in OPS, 21st in homers. They were fairly unimpressive offensively, and yet Jake Cronenworth here, 88 runs and 88 RBIs, 17 homers. Like, you will, you will absolutely take that from second base. To go along with it, he's also eligible at first, and it's short. And this season... Uh, he played. Let's see. He played 20 times at first, uh, 140 uh, Excuse me, 147 appearances at second, nine at short, and then uh, twice as a DH. So he'll keep all those same positions for next year. First, second, and short. He'll still be someone going in that exact same range. I think 125 feels bang on. Right, right about for Cronenworth. Maybe he pushes up to around 100, and I could see that. I could see him going like right at pick 100 kind of range. And and I'd be totally comfortable with it. You know, these guys today, I'm a lot more comfortable than the guys from yesterday. And I guess I'm kind of, you know, I'm not coming into these shows with any preformed opinions about these positions, really. I mean, some things, obviously, you're going to have opinions about. But heading into next year, it's kind of like a blank slate for me in terms of who I want. I mean, it was in terms of, you know, before I started prepping for the show yesterday, the day before, I wasn't really, you know, thinking one way or the other. I want Altuve next year. I want Jonathan India. I want Chisholm. I want, you know, Jake Cronenworth. There wasn't not really any thoughts like that in my head. But going through these names, looking at their production, looking at what I'm expecting, I don't know that I'm going to be going for those early names when there's going to be a lot of value in the middle rounds at second base. Those guys we mentioned yesterday who are injured, like India, like Chisholm, like Brandon Lau, they're going to come back and they're going to be a little bit cheaper. And they're going to probably, I mean, they're going to be more expensive than guys like Cronenworth. But there's going to be a good range, I think, between probably 60 and 120, where we see a lot of these second basemen go off the board. Where we see guys like Tommy Edmond, Jimenez, Glaber Torres, McNeil, Tyro Estrada, Jake Cronenworth. I think they're going to go off the board. Maybe McNeil uh, and Estrada a little bit beyond 120, like maybe 130, 140, what did I say earlier, about 150, Maybe they go a little bit later, but there's some good value to be had with middle-round second baseman next year. Uh, you know, Obviously, we're still projecting where, roughly, these guys are going to be ADP-wise, but I don't think I'm too far off on anybody. Obviously, things do change. Injuries happen. Trades happen. Uh, different, different shit comes and mucks up the works with projections and whatnot. But I think that waiting on second base next year is going to be the smart thing to do. If you want to go ahead and take Altuve or Simeon, or maybe even Tommy Edmund, depending on where he's going uh, in those top 50 picks... You know, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong to do it, but I think there's a lot of value that can be had just by waiting a little bit here on this board. Like, there's a lot of good guys here. No one yesterday was really inspiring confidence, and today I'm going through these names like, yeah, I would draft Cronenworth. Yeah, I would draft McNeil. I would draft Estrada. Now, the next guy we're going to talk about here, I'm definitely not as big on for next season, but at the right price, I might be able to be talked into it, and that is Whit Merrifield. Now, the price this year, it's fairly safe to say he did not live up to it, 35 on Yahoo!, 33 on the NFBC. Now, I was going to pull this up before. I'd actually forgotten to do it. I just want to see who was being drafted as the, sec- like the first second baseman off the board this year. Yeah, it was Trey Turner, technically, and he's not really second base. Uh, it would have been Whit Merrifield as the second second baseman off the board this year behind Ozzie Albies. I mean, okay, we'll say third because of Trey Turner, but in terms of guys who actually play second base, Merrifield was being drafted very high up, and you can understand why. After last season, he had 40 steals. He had 10 home runs, drove in 74. He had 97 runs scored, and he batted 277. Really good stuff from Whit Merrifield last year. This year, it was really, really not good. Now, at the end of the year, he turned it on a little bit, but he ended up with 70 runs, 11 homers, 58 RBIs, 16 steals, and a 250 batting average. Now, we're still talking about him here. He was still the ninth-ranked second baseman. If you're just looking at guys who primarily play second base, and that's what I've been trying to do here, I'm not talking about guys like Nico Horner and Josh Rojas and Ryan McMahon who don't really play the position, even though they're eligible there. We're going to talk about them at their own position shows, third and short, and we're going to talk about different guys who more, more play the position that they're in line with, um, not so much as fantasy eligibility. In terms of just second baseman, Whit Merrifield was the ninth-ranked second baseman this year, just to show you how little value there really is at the position. Now, he did play a little bit outfield, primarily, though, Whit Merrifield, He's a second baseman. That's why he's grouped in here. It was really not good, and I can't ex- I can't really you know look at him and look at what's going to be going on next year in Toronto with a likely platoon with Santiago Espinal. He'll play some outfield for sure. Like once he came to Toronto, it was uh, twenty two times at second, and then twenty three times in the outfield. So maybe they do some kind of even split there. I don't know. I, I can't see him being. Um, you know, a huge fantasy asset next year. Steals, we're always going to be more interested in steals because, you know, they just don't come around very often. And home runs, kind of similarly sometimes, but your home runs you can make up a lot easier than steals. A guy like Whit Merrifield, I'm just not even sure they're going to be there necessarily. Like, we've seen the steals, you know, they've been there for his whole career, really, uh, going back to his first full season, 2017. It was 34 steals, then 45, then 20. And then in the lockout, see the lockout, I did again. In the pandemic-shortened year, he had 12, but 12 in 60 games, right? And then last year, 40 of them in 162. This year, 139 games, and he had 16 steals. And I think it's also noteworthy that he was caught more times this year attempting 21 steals than he was last year attempting 44. He was 40 out of 44 last year. He was 16 for 21 this year. Not great stuff out of Whit Maryfield now. Down the stretch in Toronto, he did pick it up, and he ended up batting with, as a Blue Jay, 281, with five home runs and a stolen base. You know, that's pretty okay. Uh, and it was early on in his Blue Jay's tenure, he was platooning, like he was sitting every... I mean, actually, he was sitting more than he was playing. It wasn't even really a platoon. It was like, you know, he would sit two, and then he'd play a third, and then, you know, he'd sit one, play one, sit for three days. Like, it was like, you know, maybe two times a week, three times maybe you were seeing Whip Merrifield out there. And he was dropped in a lot of leagues. You know, he was a guy who was well over 90% rostered for most of the year. He ended up at 77. Now, he is a guy I believe is under contract for one more year, so the Blue Jays will, will send him out there at second with Espinal. Maybe they'll put him in the outfield uh, you know, to relieve George Springer sometimes next year, which, I mean, George Springer should really probably be a corner outfielder, but we'll will leave that for a different show here. Uh, I, I don't know uh, is, the, is the main answer here with, with Whit Merrifield. I don't know exactly what to expect out of him. The Blue Jays might, you know, go through camp and say, I don't even know what they're going to say. Maybe they trade away one of their outfielders, their corner outfielders, Teosca Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Maybe one of those guys goes away, we bring in a pitcher, and then Merrifield becomes, you know, a regular right fielder. Something like that. It's possible. There are a lot of different options with him. Now, the one thing I am very sure about is that he will not be no 35th overall pick next year. Whit Merrifield... For sure, he's falling at least 100 picks, and I'd say probably more. I think 150 is the earliest place I would even debate taking him, and even then I think it's probably not going to be worth your while. I think close to 200 is probably going to be the spot where I'd feel most comfortable with it. Maybe maybe 175 kind of range. Like He finished this year, I believe, one, 186. So, I mean, if you give him a whole year in a better lineup, sure, but I don't think he's going to play 162 games. He is more than capable of it. Like he was an Iron Man. He's played 162 two times. He's played 158. He played all 60 during the pandemic season. Like he can play a lot of games. But we also have to remember with Whit Merrifield, he's 33 years old. He'll be 34 in January. So those steals, you know, it went from 40 down to 16. Maybe it goes down to 10. Maybe it goes back up to 25. I just I'm not banking on that. Once you start to see the steals go down, steals, homers, strikeouts, those big. You know, sexy stats in fantasy. Once they start to go down, they don't usually come back. So, I mean, with Whit Merrifield, I'm I'm lukewarm about him. If it's the right price, if you're going around pick two hundred and he's still there, you want to take a flyer, have him on your bench, have him be your fifth outfielder kind of thing. I think you're probably okay. Now, if he's going any higher, there's just no value. And this was a big theme from yesterday that Whit Merrifield, or not even about Whit Merrifield that with any draft pick, you got to try and look for value. It's very hard to do in round one, very hard to do in round two. You're hoping that those guys just live up to those draft picks, right? You take a guy fifth overall, fourth overall, third overall, there's not really much room for him to go up. He could finish first overall, and that'd be great, but that's, you know... That's within the acceptable kind of range there in the first round. You can't really exceed so much. If you draft a guy 40th overall, like a Paul Goldschmidt this year, 40th or 50th, and he finishes second or third, whatever it was, that's obviously a huge win. But if you had drafted him there in third overall, it wouldn't have been much of a win. And I'll give you an an example here. In one public league that I did, I signed up for this one. Before I knew I would be doing any podcasts or writing any articles or anything, I just wanted to do a Yahoo public league and the first overall pick in this league was Aaron Judge. The guy's name was a Yankee thing. Uh, I forget the name of the guy's team exactly, but he was a Yankee guy. He took Aaron Judge first overall. Now, even though Aaron Judge was the number one overall player in fantasy this year, that's not a good pick. That's not a smart draft pick. You can get him in the third round. You could have easily had guys like, you know, Jose Ramirez in the first, Woodruff in the second, and then go for Judge in the third. Some I, I'm, I can't remember exactly... What, what the order would have been, where, who was slotting in where exactly. But just because a guy's going to finish first, if you're going to take him there way ahead of ADP, it doesn't mean there's any value in the draft pick. And that's something I'm always trying to do here is look for a round or two of value. If you're taking a guy 60, hopefully he can finish 50. If you're taking him 70, hopefully he finishes 55 or 60 and, and so on and so forth. It's something that we talk about here and there, and, I mean, I haven't talked about it so, so much, and mostly because I didn't really have that much time to do draft prep this season. My first podcast this year was March 22nd or something. There wasn't a hell of a lot of time to do, you know, preseason kind of shows. There was, like, ten preseason shows, and I kind of had to cram it all in there. One show for first base, one for second, one for third. Now we got our time. We're going to work through all these things. We're going to try and find all these different holes. and not, I mean, maybe not holes, but just... Players who are falling maybe around or two too far and look to make up some value on them. So a guy like Merrifield, best case scenario, probably is like 150, 140 at this point in his career in terms of a ranking. Maybe he pushes up a little bit higher whole season with the Blue Jays. If everything goes according to plan, let's say he plays 140 games, he gets close to 500 at-bats. No reason to think he can't do something fairly similar. You know, you take away that time he spent with the Royals the first four months of the year and switch that for at-bats in the Blue Jays lineup. You figure you'll get some more counting stats. And, you know, maybe you get a bit of a higher batting average by osmosis, being around some better dudes. I know that's totally bullshit what I just said there. But maybe, you know, you're around some better hitters. You start hitting a little bit better. It's not the craziest thing that has been known to happen. I just can't see, you know, taking him at 130, 140, hoping for a 140 season. When, you know, you probably should take him 170, 180 hope for a 140 season. And then if he gets it, he gets it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But you're not setting your expectations so high. Like there are so many there's so many different ways to go about this. I, I try, I try all the time to look for value. But some people will just say, no, I want safe picks. I don't want I don't need to worry about somebody jumping up the board twenty slots. If I'm taking a guy in round five, just give me fifth or sixth round production and we should be okay. Same thing goes for round seven and round two and round 25. You know, just give me someone who can perform roughly within that spot, maybe a touch higher, touch lower, just within that range, and I'm fine. I tend to be more risk-averse, but I also try and look for guys who, you know, the best example out of the second basemen of someone who you can probably get lower than they should be going, I think, is Jeff McNeil. I think the value will be there with a guy like Jeff McNeil, going probably 150, 170, and he can finish around 100. That, for me, is a huge, huge value pick. He won't be sexy because there's no home runs, no steals. But he does play in New York and hits for a high batting average. So maybe some people will push him up because of that. I still think there's going to be a lot of value there. And, guys, I, I appreciate you bearing with me here because, like I said, this is just kind of like a rambling session. This is what, uh, you know, there's that meme that's been going around for, a, I don't know, I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Guys don't go to therapy, they just do podcasts. You know, that's pretty much, you know, just <laughs> bitching and ranting about baseball and about what I'm, what I'm kind of thinking. And I'm still forming my opinions. I don't come into these particular shows with, uh, you know, a defined strategy. And, and Dan Besper has put it, I think, the best way, uh, host of our fantasy NBA Today show, that these shows, these podcasts are kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Come in with a couple of main points. There's two or three things we want to hit for sure during the episode. And then the rest of it just kind of gets improvised and filled in. So I do appreciate you guys sticking with me through this rambling session of mine, this therapy session of mine. And another week concluded on the show. God, I think it's 31 weeks we've been doing the show for now. Really cool stuff. I'm going to get to work on my rankings now. We have a couple of players down on the list. I'll tell you right now. As of today, uh, spoiler alert for you guys, Trey Turner is going to be ranked number one in my rankings. Could go maybe with Jose Ramirez, maybe Acuna, maybe Julio Rodriguez, but for me, it's going to be Trey Turner. He leaves the Dodgers. Maybe we'll do something else there. You know, Maybe he pushes down one or two spots, but uh, as of right now, uh, Trey Turner is going to be number one, and those rankings will be out over the weekend uh, or, or either, either Sunday or Monday on SportsEthos.com. I'm going to see how much I can get through over this weekend going to try and really grind, put my nose down, and get those out for you guys. I'm going to try and do some little write-ups along with the players as well. And it won't be position by position. This will just be a top 50. And, you know, I'm sure this will be good for a laugh, looking back in six months just to see how off it is, how different things are. But I'd like to, you know, just put checkpoints down throughout the year to see what we're doing, uh, see what we're thinking during those particular periods, and then we adjust based on that. So, guys, I won't keep you any longer than I already have. Second base – is a weird position. There's a lot of different strategies. I talked about it on Twitter yesterday. If you missed yesterday's show and you're thinking, why the hell did this guy start off with Jeff McNeil? Go back and check out yesterday's... Go back and check out starting last week when we started with Catcher. We're going to go through every single position. Catcher was just two shows. Everything else will be at least three. And I think we're going to do an entire week of pitching. So please do go subscribe to the podcast. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get it. If your app that you use it on, because I know you can't do it on all of them, allows you to leave a review... A rating those things would be really appreciated five stars would be ideal and please do go check us out on Twitter at JoeRico99 and at EthosFantasyBB please go follow EthosFantasyBB that is the important one right now I'm trying to grow that one up uh, it's at like 160 followers let's get it up there my goal is 1000 during next year for the baseball season we're going to get there with your help so please guys do go follow that's it that's enough rambling for me take care have a good weekend and enjoy the baseball guys